Well, let's go ahead and turn in our Bibles to Exodus chapter 18. And this morning's message is entitled, Wisdom. Whenever I approach a chapter to begin to prepare to teach it on a Sunday morning, I approach it as part of my devotional life. And each day I read the chapter over and over and over again. Often before teaching a chapter of the Bible, I can read it up to 20 to 30 times. And when I read the chapter for the purpose of devotion, I look at it in just elementary uh, sense, the most basic elements of it. I, I want to understand this chapter by summing it up in one word. So reading through the verses uh, a numerous amount of times, I then look to sum up the entire chapter in one word. And the word for chapter 18 of the book of Exodus is wisdom. I was so impressed by Moses and his willingness to receive advice and counsel from his father-in-law, Jethro. And we're going to develop that as we look at the chapter together this morning. But wisdom was the word that I came to. I believe that's the word that describes this chapter thoroughly. And then I ask myself some questions about the chapter. And then I try to sum up the chapter in one question to pose to you this morning. And that question would be this. Who are you listening to? When you need advice, when you need counsel, when you need wisdom, where do you go to obtain that advice, counsel, or wisdom? That's a question that I think each person needs to ask themselves personally. As a believer in Jesus Christ, where do you go for wisdom, advice, and counsel? Because depending on where you go will then qualify the wisdom in which you receive. And it's a question I think many haven't asked themselves. Where do you go for the wisdom and counsel that you need in your everyday life? One summed up wisdom this way, and I like the way he worded it. He says, wisdom is intensively practical, not theoretical. Basically, wisdom is the art of being successful, of forming the correct plan to gain the desired results. Its seat is in the heart, the center of moral and intellectual decision. So what do you base your decisions upon? Where do you source out your wisdom from? Where do you pull it from? I think today's text reminds us so vividly that we remain open to wisdom, that we remain approachable, that we remain teachable, and that we need wisdom every single day of our daily lives. That we haven't come to a point where no further wisdom is needed or required. I think many come to a place in their life where they feel like they aren't teachable any longer. And unfortunately, it happens as we get older. We don't believe that there's anything more that we can learn. And I think the moment we take that position is the moment we do ourselves a great disservice. I think we should always, always know our need and necessity 
for wisdom. The Proverbs says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. He later went on to write, The discerning sets his face towards wisdom, but the eyes of a fool are on the ends of the earth. Or later he went on to write again, that is Solomon, whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool, but he who walks in wisdom will be delivered. So we pick it up in Exodus chapter 18. And we are continuing with Moses and the children of Israel through a journey from Egypt to Mount Sinai where they will meet God and they will uh, be imparted the Ten Commandments from on high. But as we are getting close to that mountain, Moses and the children of Israel are now passing the area in which Moses spent 40 years after being expelled from Egypt, wandering into this wilderness, he is now passing his old stomping grounds, as it were, and he is moving his way towards Mount Sinai. And in that moment, his wife rejoins him with their two sons. They come running out to meet him. Because as they are making their way to the mountain of God, they are moving past the area in which he spent so many years. And with his wife and his two children, his father-in-law comes with them and joins them. And Moses runs out to meet them. And in that interaction, we see a reunion taking place because a year has almost passed since he has seen his wife and two children. Look at verse 2 with me. Now Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, had taken Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her home. Along with her two sons, the name of one was Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land or a stranger in a strange land. And the name of the other, Eleazar, for he said, the God of my fathers was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. Even in naming Moses' two children, it is all based upon his memory of his time in Egypt before he left at the age of 40. He remembered all that God had done for him up until that time. And he remembered how God had saved him from the sword of Pharaoh and memorialized that in his son Eleazar. But Moses also knew that his time in this land of Midian was temporal and called himself a sojourner in a foreign land knowing that there would be a time in which God would send him back. And when Moses came out to meet his father-in-law, his wife, and his two children. They discussed all that God had done up until that point, verses 1 through 12 of our chapter. Reminiscing, remembering what God had done. Look in verse 10 with me. And Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh, as he has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know the Lord is great, greater than all gods, because in this affair they dealt arrogantly with the people. Jethro's conclusion was that the God in whom Moses served, the one in whom he worshipped, was superior to any pagan god that could exist. 
The Midianites were not known for their following of Jehovah, but they were what is called monotheistic, that they believed that there was only one true God. And now Jethro is identifying the God of Moses as that one true God. And they rejoice and remember all that God has done for them. An incredible family reunion takes place there as they are making their way to the mountain with 2.5 million people. The next day, verse 13, is where we'll pick it up this morning. As Jethro begins to observe Moses, his son-in-law, like any good father-in-law, Jethro has advice for his son-in-law. And Moses heeds this advice, this counsel, and finds that it's wisdom, finds that it's very wise to do so, and in so doing, glorifies God and satisfies the needs of the people. Let's pick it up in verse 13. The next day Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw what he was doing for the people, he said, What is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning until evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, Because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they come to me, and I decide between one person and another. And I make known to them the statutes of God and his laws. And Moses' father-in-law said to him, What you are doing is not good. Moses' father-in-law is simply observing. Obviously, his father-in-law was a shepherd. We know that that when Moses arrived there in Midian, he came to the, the, to the rescue of the daughters of Jethro who were by a well, who were trying to water their sheep, and uh, others were trying to take advantage of them while they're at the well, and Moses stood in to defend them. It is known that Jethro was probably a very wealthy man to have the property and the possessions in which he had, to have the family in which he had, and he probably was used to the art of delegation. And so as he observed Moses, and he observed the role that Moses was playing on behalf of these 2.5 million people, it was apparent to Jethro that this wasn't a good thing. This couldn't endure. This won't last. You're only going to burn yourself out, Moses, by continuing to do what you are going to do. In fact, in verse 18, that's what he says. You're going to wear yourself out, Moses, by doing what you are doing. It's not good for you, Moses, to do what you are doing alone. And what you are doing is not good, meaning you're probably not satisfying all the needs of all the people that you have. For the task is too heavy, Jethro says. It's too much to bear. The burden is overwhelming to you to carry. In the United States of America last year, there were 800,540, 133 cases filed in our legal system. Now that's, that's an overwhelming number if you consider that many of those cases are not 
tried and judged in one day. They're multiple day cases and they can go on for years. And new cases always arrive after that. Through some mathematical evaluation, I discovered for 2.5 million people, there would be an average of 7,200 new cases per year for Moses to personally alone sit and judge uh, disputes amongst the people. That is just simply taking a ratio based on the numbers in which we have. We don't know exactly how many he would have to govern each day. Based on the number of days per the week, subtracting the Sabbath... It's roughly estimated that 25 new cases were brought to Moses' attention per day, and that's not including cases that were held over from the day previous. Now, these were just disputes, possibly, that he needed to resolve. That's a lot of disputes for one man to handle. Now again, this is a fictitious number, but I just wanted to give you some kind of an idea of what Moses might have been facing day by day in his personal endeavors. And so Jethro's advice would be uh, well-deserved, meaning you can't keep going like this, Moses. It's been a year. You've been doing this on your own. It's time now that you change and make some changes to lighten the load that you may be more effective and they may be more uh, satisfied in the way that their disputes are being handled. First thing I see developing our life principle today is that often when we are in the middle of it, like Moses was, we don't see the problem as objectively as someone from the outside sees the problem. When we're in the middle of it, we often don't see it to be the problem that it actually is. We just are maybe being carried by the wave or the current of the different circumstances and scenarios that we find ourselves in. When someone seeks counseling from someone, they are often seeking someone's uh, perspective that is more objective because that person is standing outside of the circumstances and therefore can look objectively upon what you are personally experiencing and therefore give you counsel from that perspective rather than your own. Have you ever been in one of those positions where you knew in your heart you were drowning? Things were becoming overwhelming, but you just needed to do what needed to get done. And it wasn't until someone who was outside of that perspective, outside of those circumstances, bringing it to your attention that a change needs to be made. I think it's wise to listen to when someone brings a concern to your attention. When someone it is like Jethro who obviously loved his son-in-law, loved his grandkids, loved his daughter and wanted to see the best, revered God and saw how God had handled the children of Israel coming out of the land of Egypt and wanted only the best. And so he identifies the problem from an outside perspective. One who is not submersed in the circumstances themselves. I love what one says here. A man begins cutting his wisdom teeth the first time he bites off more than he can chew. And that truly sums it up. Moses was doing what Moses needed to do. He was doing the right thing. 
But there was a better way to do it. And Jethro brings that to his attention in the counsel or advice that Jethro brings to Moses' attention. Let's pick it up in verse 19. Now obey my voice, Jethro says. I will give you advice or counsel. And God be with you. Now listen to what I'm about to say, Moses. It's important. And God be with you, meaning... Jethro was looking for God to give the approval to the counsel that he was about to give. Number two principle is this. Any wisdom that we are given must be weighed against the word of God. Any counsel that we are given, any advice, any wisdom must be weighed against the word of God. And that's what Jethro here was wanting Moses to do. He says here very clearly in this advice, and that God be with you, you shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God. And you shall warn them about the statutes and laws, or that word warn can be teach them of the statutes and the laws, and make them known in the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Moreover, you look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs, over thousands of hundreds, fifties, and of tens. And let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter uh, they shall bring to you, but every small matter they shall decide themselves. So it will be easier for you and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you. You will be able to endure, and all the people will go to their place in peace. So Jethro's motivation is obviously revealed. He wants everything to work smoothly. He wants the people to be satisfied and to dwell in peace. He is looking for the very best outcome to take place with the advice that, is, that he is giving. Moses, number one, you should be representing the people before God. Obviously, that was the mediator that Moses was meant to be between God and man, and that's what Jethro wanted him to count on. Bring their cases before God in intercessory prayer. This is what you need to focus on. Now, Moses, in so doing, begin by teaching them, the people, the statutes and the laws, the regulations and the instructions, in the way in which they must walk and to do. This way they can figure things out for themselves. I have found that there is an incredible fruit of expository Bible teaching. Expository Bible teaching is verse-by-verse teaching of the Bible. And one of the great byproducts, and there are many, but one of the great byproducts of that particular approach to teaching the Word of God is that in teaching or equipping the people themselves, you are encouraging them to grow to maturity. And as a mature believer in Jesus Christ, they are then personally able to handle a lot of the difficulties that they have in their own personal lives themselves, they and God together. And that's what we strive to do here. 
We strive to encourage you, to teach you, to equip you, that you may know your God and the grace and the knowledge that is in Jesus Christ, that when difficulties in life come, you may be a discerning individual and able to, to approach that problem objectively through the Word of God and figure things out for yourself. And as a result, believe it or not, we have very little need for counseling between pastors and the people of the congregation. I know pastors who believe that other approaches to teaching are more effective, and yet they are inundated with counseling sessions because the people don't know what to do when they are faced with certain circumstances. So instead of running to God, they are always running back to the pastor. So basically, I felt that, listen... I think it's better if you run to God than to me, so I'm going to teach you all about Him and His Word, and therefore when you are struggling or having difficulties, you and Him can work it out together, and in so doing, you solidify your relationship with Him and grow as a person in Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? So Jethro tells Moses, teach the people what they need to do. You pray for them. You intercede for them. You represent God before them, and you represent them before God. That's what you should concentrate on, Moses. And as a result, they will then, for themselves, be able to figure out things for themselves. So eliminating some of the need for a mediator or some kind of counseling by simply equipping the people on a level in which they can understand the word, use the word of God effectively in their life. But there will always be the need for outside help, for one to mediate and to settle disputes. So here's what we're going to do. Find for yourself able men and raise them up, train them up to allow them to handle the lower level, and that isn't demeaning these issues uh, whatsoever, but have them deal with these issues down here. And if need be, they can bring the uh, more lofty issues to you, and then you can judge accordingly. Men who fear God, who are trustworthy, and who won't take a bribe, one who hates corruption... One said it this way, they are men of ability, able men, men of godliness, such as fear God, men of God's word, men of truth, men of honor, hating covetousness. And then put certain groups of people underneath them, thousand, hundred, fifties, and tens, and let them handle the small matters, and let them bring the larger manners, uh, matters to you, and let them help you with the burden in which you are to bear. And in Exodus 18.22, he says, Let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. The word easier there in verse 22 is a Hebrew word that means um, casting out ballast of a ship. Um, When a ship was sailing in a certain area and they were approaching shallow waters, 
if the boat was too weighted down, the hull of the boat would get stuck in the mud. It would just berth itself right there in the shoals and would not be able to move any further. So what the sailors needed to do is they needed to go below in the cargo area and lighten the ship. And as and in so doing, the ship would then run in a more shallow manner in the water and wouldn't run aground. That's what Jethro is saying here. It would be easier for you. You're not going to run amok. You're not going to run aground. Things will keep moving smoothly as this is implemented. And that's really the goal here. And Jethro says in verse 23, if you do this, God will direct you. You will be able to endure, meaning continue, move forward, and all the people will go to their places in peace. Now, being in the business world as I was prior to being a pastor, I will tell you that this is the art of delegation in and of itself. I think that these principles are invaluable to anybody who has to manage a large number of people. But even in a smaller setting, I think it is imperative that we be about training up young men in the Word of God that they may also handle the burdens of the congregation. And that's what we are doing here collectively as a church. Raising up young men that they may continue on the ministry, that they may be here for the people, etc. That they may be able to deal with the uh, difficulties that may arise and allowing uh, myself to continue moving forward in what God would have me to do. D.L. Moody saw this passage of Scripture and he coined a famous saying. And this famous saying was based upon his conclusions and he writes his conclusions here. I'll read them for you. This was good for Moses. He could focus on the most important things and not be overwhelmed and overstressed by many smaller tasks. This was good for the leaders of Moses, uh, who Moses chose. Capable men were given real responsibility and had the opportunity to serve God's people in a meaningful way and further God's work. This is good for the congregation. They prayed for and taught by Moses, and they were able to settle more things themselves personally. And when they did uh, need a dispute settled, they received quicker attention, better attention from the delegated leaders than from Moses alone by himself. And here is the phrase that he has coined. It is better to set a hundred men to work than to do the work of a hundred men. I've seen that in posters as I've gone into different corporations over my time in the business community. It is the art of delegation. It was wisdom being given to Moses to benefit everyone. Now, I need to make a little parenthetical statement here at this point. I do believe that we live in a culture today that everybody wants to do as little as possible. And the art of delegation has been so abused... And those who are in management today seem to think, well, I've got two things on my entire plate for the whole 40-hour week. I need to delegate at least one of them. Or I have one thing on my plate and I really don't want to do anything, so I'm going to delegate that. I think that's a misuse of delegation. There was a real need here. 
And the only way such people were going to be attended to in such an efficient manner was to implement this delegation. But today I think we are often uh, too quick to think that just because things are a little difficult or things are a little harder... And we have very, many people today in America have very low stress levels. Very low stress levels. And anything that goes above that stress level is something that they have to alleviate themselves of. And when in actuality, they need, I think, to push themselves a little bit harder past that stress level. But here, in our case, this made sense. Now, this was the specific advice and counsel that was given to Moses, but here's what I want you to notice this morning, is that Moses received it. Moses listened to it. I don't know about you, but Moses would have been the most prominent figure in all of our text, isn't he? He is the one that God raised up to deliver the people from the land of Egypt confronted Pharaoh and brought about uh, the wrath of God through ten plagues upon Egypt, delivered the people, leading them out, coming to the Red Sea, raising his staff in the sea parting, having a tree cast into the waters to make sweet waters out of bitter waters. He brought about manna. He brought about uh, quail on behalf of God, of course, God doing the work. Now notice, as a result, Moses could have taken the position of, I really don't need your help. I really don't need your counsel. I have it all under control. Don't you know who God has called me to be? I need to do this because this is what God's called me to be. And yet he was open to this advice. It showed me that even at this point at 80 years old in Moses' life, really 81 years old now because he had been sent back at 80, it's a year later, he was still teachable. He was still approachable. He was still willing to listen to that which was reasonable. And once we understand that, understand that any wisdom given to us is meant to be implemented if we feel that that's what God would have us to do. It's not enough just to have information in and of itself. We are inundated with information, aren't we? Anytime you need to know anything, you have this thing called the internet in your house that you can access. It is your portal to a world of information. And if you haven't discovered yet, everything on the internet is true. Okay? Obviously, you have to be discerning when you start surfing for that information. But we have a wealth of information at our fingertips. And yet, with all of the information that we have as a society, as a community, as a culture, we seem to be in worse shape than we've ever been before. Let me give you an example. Some recent statistical data has just been released that in the last 25 years of the church's existence, two of the most repeated topics from the pulpit has been marriage and parenting. Marriage and parenting. So over the last 25 years, those have been the topic of choice for so many different churches. And yet marriages are at an all-time low, and parenting is at an all-time low. Meaning there is more difficulty today than ever. We have all of the information, but a lot of it is not being utilized. A lot of it is not being applied a lot of it's not being put into practice as then 
the result is you won't have any change. You can be a master on different nutritional facts, but unless you eat nutritionally, you're not going to benefit from those facts. You can have all the biblical knowledge that you want, but unless you apply that biblical knowledge into your personal life, it's not going to have the effect on your life that you need it to have. So we must apply the wisdom that we are given. Verse 24, look with me. So Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he said. And Moses chose able men out of all of Israel and made them heads over the people, chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And they judged the people at all times. Any hard case they brought to Moses, but any small matter they decided themselves. Then Moses let his father-in-law depart, and he went away to his own country. Typical father-in-law. Son, this is what you need to do. Let me know how it goes for you. I'm going home. But it seemed to have a lasting impact. In fact, when you get to the book of Numbers, God reminds Moses of this delegation and asks him to implement it again. Wisdom. But wisdom is meant to be applied. I like what Augustine said when he said, God spoke to Moses, did he not? Yet Moses was very prudently and humbly yielded to the advice of his father-in-law, foreigner though he was with regard to governing and directing such, mighty, uh, such a mighty nation. For he realized that from whatever intellect right counsel proceeds, it should be attributed not to him who conceived it, but to the one who is the truth, the immutable God. And Moses saw it as such. I think this is a dynamic life lesson for all of us here to learn. That we need to rely on wisdom daily to negotiate through this world. And there are some things that I want to tell you about that will prepare you to receive that wisdom when it is given. And the first thing that I'd like to remind you of, and there are four things, and they all begin with humility. Number one, be humble enough to know that we don't know everything. I hate to tell you that. Maybe you didn't know that, even though you thought you knew everything. We don't know everything and are in need of wisdom. Number two, let us be humble enough to remain teachable and approachable and to listen. I think one of the um, characteristics that allowed for my success in the business community was my approachability. Allowing people to approach me when they had concerns or critiques or comments, etc. I think we need to remain approachable. I think we need to remain teachable as we continue on in our walk with the Lord. It is pride who would stumble us from those dimensions. They would keep us from learning, further our learning. And they would keep us from being approachable by others. We must be humble enough to recognize and acknowledge our own personal weaknesses. We must be able to do that. And fourthly, we must be humble enough to seek wisdom when it is needed. 
I think that if you will adopt these principles, you will position yourself in a way that you will then receive the wisdom that is needed for your everyday life. But then we must consider the source. That's about us. But what about the source of wisdom? Now here's Jethro. And there are some Bible scholars, and I think that's funny, because when you call someone a Bible scholar, they are claiming that they know everything about the subject. But the Bible scholars believe that this was inappropriate counsel, even though God reiterates it in Numbers. I disagree. I think it demonstrated the heart of Moses, which is something to be admired, that he was humble enough to receive this from his father-in-law. Understand that there is a wisdom that we as Christians should always look to draw upon first and foremost. And that is the wisdom that proceeds from God. Because there is a wisdom from God and there is a wisdom of this world. And I want to challenge you today by telling you that I believe many Christians can no longer discern one from the other. Many don't understand where the wisdom of God ends and the wisdom of the world begins. That line has become blurred. That line has become obscured. And much of the biblical teaching that I hear today, in fact, just this week, I was listening to a man teaching on marriage, and he was moving from biblical text to secular psychology to biblical text to secular psychology back and forth not even realizing what he was doing. And yet he was confusing the situation rather than helping the situation. First of all, he took a text of the Bible that didn't even speak on the subject matter. And he formed it into what he wanted it to say. And then to support his formulation, he used secular psychology. And people, after a a, a a psychological comment was made, were saying, Amen. They didn't even know where one ended and the other one began. So there is a wisdom of God and there is a wisdom of this world and it is imperative that we know which the source is if we are going to truly discern and adopt that which is appropriate. Now, the wisdom of God is found in His Word on your lap. And if you want to know where to begin, there's a whole book of Proverbs that is written concerning wisdom from Solomon himself, the wisest man who ever lived. I would encourage you to read a proverb a day. There's 30 of them, Proverbs uh, 31, there's 31 of them, I should say. And read a proverb a day to gain the wisdom and insight that God would have for you to negotiate through this life you would be surprised at how many issues are dealt with very clearly and very specifically directly from God's Word. Once we understand that the Word of God is where this wisdom is contained, we must approach it then with the understanding that all wisdom begins with a fear of God, a reverence. He is God, I am not. He knows better than I know. He knows what's best for me, even though I may feel I know what's best for myself. A fear, a reverence, a respect for God. I think that if we can truly see God for who He is, that will create the necessary humility in our lives to move forward.
The proverb writer says that the wisdom that is found in God's word is more precious than all gold, all silver combined. Know that God's wisdom to you as a believer in Jesus Christ is freely given. For James writes to us, if we need wisdom, just ask. And it will be, be given to us freely and with liberty, meaning there is no end to it, if we will consult God. And all wisdom, depending on where it comes from, must be evaluated through the Word of God. I would strongly encourage you that before you begin to implement a practice or adopt a principle, you weigh it against the Word of God to see how it is valued. As G. Campbell Morgan said, he said, All advice which we receive from men should be tested by remitting the same to God for ratification and amendment, meaning that let him substantiate that what we are about to adopt as a life principle, as something that we negotiate our life by, is actually of God. Now, I think the Proverbs is also very wise when it talks about there is wisdom in the counsel of others. I am a huge proponent of mentoring. I believe in it deeply. I think it is biblical. Titus makes it very clear of that fact. I have been a Christian for 28 years, and to this day, I still meet with my pastor once a week, if I'll be it. And as and in doing that, I'm reminded of the fact that I'm a man under accountability. I position myself humbly before my pastor that he may question me, challenge me, that he may ask those questions that others may be afraid to ask because I happen to be the pastor of this church. He asks those freely. Are you loving Dina as Christ loved the church? Are you giving Autumn everything she wants, including a cell phone and a tablet? No. (laughs) But he has the right to ask me those questions. He has the right to sit me down. He has the right to correct me if necessary. I continue in that relationship. I look for that relationship, not in, a, uh, in some kind of unhealthy dependence, but more of an accountability to know that before I can be in authority, I first must be under authority. I think that's so important. And when I'm about to adopt something or I'm about to implement something, I have a group of men that I go to outside of this church who are all older, godly believers in Jesus Christ who have been walking with the Lord for decades. I send out an email and I say, what do you think? What do you think about this? And they can freely tell me and discuss things with me. And what they do, because they are so good at what they do, is that they have this incredible ability of articulation where it causes me to think even more deeply and to seek God even more earnestly. I think that's very, very important to have. I base this on Proverbs 15.22. And let me read this for you in closing. Without counsel, plans fail. But with many advisors, they succeed. I was moved again by Moses, 
and his willingness to receive wisdom. I hope that you understand your need for wisdom to negotiate through this life. You need to discern where that wisdom comes from. You need to understand what to implement and what to abandon. And in so doing, you will then live and walk as God would have you to live and walk, to make the right decisions, to do the right things based upon what God would have you to do. Again, chapter 18, summed up in one word, it is wisdom. And I think Moses' example to you and I is an incredible example to move us forward.